Hello, welcome back to another installment of the Scouted Football Podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Joe Donahue, and today I'm delighted to be able to welcome Connor Rowden to this week's episode. Uh, you may know Connor a lot better as his Twitter handle, which is at RoudJRSG, where his area of expertise is without question uh, England's youth international sides, from players to coaching staff, as well as uh, the young players coming through at clubs up and down the country in competitions such as Premier League Two and the Professional Development League. Um, first of all, I'd just like to say welcome to the pod. Um, it's great to, to finally have you on. Um, and I'd just like to start by asking sort of what got you into into covering youth football to begin with? Yeah, thanks for having me on, Joe. Um, I, it, I've been asked this a few times and it's, it's kind of hard to point towards what the genesis of it all was. Uh, but I'd say just growing up in the house, uh, having MUTV in the house, having Eurosport in the house, watching the youth football and the youth tournaments when I was a kid, just like all of us in these types of roles, I just got interested in seeing players develop, seeing who the players coming through were. And then as I've got older, like I did some youth coaching when I was a few years ago, I studied sports science at university. And the Twitter page really just started off is because I was looking for information and I couldn't find anyone else had it. So I was finding it. And then I just was almost putting it out there for my own personal record. And then gradually people started following me, asking for more information and stuff. And it's kind of just snowballed from there in a strange fashion, really. I suppose if the resource isn't there, then what better to do than to, to create it yourself, I suppose. Um, but I mean, it, it's a niche of the football world that, that we at Scouted are, are obviously quite familiar with. But I mean, in, in terms of the, the thorough depth of knowledge at the various academies that you've got, you must have amassed some serious hours sort of studying the different clubs and, and various setups. Yeah, I think when it comes to the I think also one of the reasons why I started putting information out there is because a lot of the stuff in the mainstream media is devoid of any context. So say a 19-year-old will make their debut in the championship and instantly they will be seen as the best 19-year-old because they're the only ones that are seen to be playing in senior football. And I think that lack of context kind of is probably where I excel in that. Uh, yeah, the importance of knowing what you're watching is half of the task when you're assessing players or talent. So, um, yeah, although it started from watching the United youth teams, the England youth teams, it's just been a gradual spreading out of my knowledge from there, using that context as the starting point. And then everything at the other academies relates to that, really. So I suppose most people will will know who you are based on on the Twitter that you have at the moment. Um, but sort of what else do you have going on outside of outside of Twitter that you might have in, in your sphere of expertise? Um, well, almost from the Twitter, I've been contacted by agents, people at clubs, uh, etc., and I've been able to work on a few recruitment projects over the last couple of years. And then uh, there's more stuff in the pipeline. Uh, I, I can't fully go into it, but it is something that I'd like to uh, work more on, whether it be academy scouting, first team scouting, just getting more of a look inside the world rather than being an outsider and just going from there, really. 
Um, your your Twitter handle is, of course, your surname, but also the 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 JRSG part. What what does that part stand for? That was just I I did do a bit of blogging previously. Um, I struggled to find the time to do that much writing now, but that was just Jules Remey still gleaming, like from the Free Lion song. Bit of a corny little tagline that probably needs to be changed at some point. Oh no, I, I couldn't possibly see that happening. I mean, we, we saw Ali Maxwell from the not not the top twenty today. Um, he said something like, "I've done the Twitter search of Raud GRSG and and then inserting a player's name to to check back on how long you've been tracking them or something." So I think it's one of those things that's going to be iconic to to your sort of brand now. Um, I mean, just zeroing in on sort of England's youth teams in in particular. At present, do you, do you think we're seeing one of the most talented crops of young English players up and down the various youth level, levels? Because I know there's a lot of attention on the 21s, but do you think there's just as much potential without the same level of hype within the younger groups? Yeah, I think I think across the board, I'd say the level has risen substantially. And I'd also say people are wising up to some of the problems with the pathways which will have a will have an impact on that as well. So obviously the the better the talent, the better the pathways and also just a more awareness of the pitfalls and where the players of the last generation, which I think we'll probably look back on as a bit of a lost generation, an awareness of them pitfalls, we'll see more of them come through here, whether that's domestically or abroad in international leagues. Well, I suppose the best place to start really is with with England's youth sides um, having uh, the under-17 World Cup winners of 2017, the under-20 World Cup winners of uh, 2017 as well. And and we're starting to see some of those key players make their mark in Europe's leagues and and not just in English leagues either. Obviously, we've seen, you know, Jadon Sancho, uh, one of the under-17 World Cup winners, making his mark in in the Bundesliga. Um, In terms of the squad members and where they are now, uh, who would you say... At the time, did you think sort of had the highest ceiling? Are there any that perhaps haven't lived up to to the billing or the expectation that maybe you, you you saw them reaching at that time when England sort of won those tournaments in two thousand seventeen? Well, I think the uh, the under twenty World Cup winners and the under seventeen World Cup winners are a good uh, group to contrast because it's almost the last of the old generation and the first of the real step up of the new generation so I think the 1997s that won the under 20 world cup it was a very strong team but I'm not sure the individuals were quite there compared to the 2000s and also I think a lot of them by the time that tournament rolled around as under 20s they'd already locked themselves into longer contracts at bigger teams they'd already given away some of their bargaining power for the next couple of years and I think you're seeing that with players like Walker Peters or even Solanke, who agreed to join Liverpool at the time of the tournament. Whereas I think if he'd do it all again, he would probably have left Chelsea, gone abroad first and foremost, and then worked his way back. Because I put, think joining Liverpool put him in a cycle where it limited the amount of teams that could take him away from Liverpool. It took 18 months for him to get any kind of game time until he joined Bournemouth. And then now he's trying to take his first steps into senior football. Well, apart from his short loan at Vitesse. 
he's trying to take his first steps into senior football and it's in a struggling Premier League team and the pressure mounts on him by the week as he doesn't score. I think the 97s were one of the first age groups that I watched as under-17s, as under-18s, as under-19s, as under-20s. And I think from 16, Paddy Roberts was the standout in that group. And I think he's another who has joined City early. And although that's not necessarily a bad move, I think with injuries and then a over-reliance on the loan system and no real motivation from City seemingly in his development it's been a rough couple of years and like a lot of them 97s like Onoma, Walker Peters who could go out on loan this January, uh, Solanke who is only really just having his first run in the team. Roberts is now at Middlesbrough and he's started two games in a row and in a month this could have been his best run of football since his first season at Celtic so that lost period for a lot of them between the ages of 19 and 22 it will be costly probably of where their eventual ceiling could be, even though they could all still be good Premier League players. A lot of them have missed two and a half, two years of football already, which unlike some of the uh, 2000s, the under-17s from 2017, they are a lot more advanced and a lot they're picking up a lot more appearances already, even compared to their counterparts who are three years older than yeah, it's interesting that you mention uh, Dominic Solanke there because uh, I, d- I did a little bit of research on this towards the end of uh, 2019. And from from the end of the uh, Under-20 World Cup campaign, Solanke is only featured in just over 2,000 minutes, which is you know the best part of three years or three seasons, um, or two and a half seasons rather. I mean, 2,000 minutes is, is really not a lot of football. And obviously that comes down to um, you know, the situation that he had at Chelsea and then going straight to Liverpool uh, and getting caught in that cycle, as you mentioned. But then you you compare Solanke with his his under-20 World Cup teammate from, from 2017 in, in Fikayo Tomori. And while he's played fewer minutes at the top level in terms of the Premier League, uh, the Champions League, um, he he also he has six over 6,000 minutes at sort of a championship level or a domestic cup level. Obviously, being on loan at Hull and 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 Derby County uh, and also Brighton before that, um, do you think that sort of players who drop into the the Championship from bigger clubs academies have a better career traje- trajectory uh, in, in the long run because they, co- they they earn their spurs at a, at a more competitive level rather than playing lots and lots of of under twenty three football, but for a a, t- a top level academy? Yeah, I think. I think the players, it sounds obvious, but the players just have to play. And I think one of the problems with, A, staying at the top clubs is sometimes you'll be taken out of under-23 football, which under-23 football is flawed in itself, but it's better than sitting on the bench every single week for a senior team for a year. And then suddenly that becomes two years. And then like Kyle Walker-Peters has barely played football at any level for two and a half years now and I think loans are preferable to that but I also don't think loans are really a sustainable answer because you're relying on football league clubs to value your long-term development when actually they only care about what you can give them in the short term so Fikaya Tamore went out on two loans before he went to Derby and he spent his season at Hull playing in various different positions playing left back right back and it's 
obviously it helps to get different experiences but only if it's for a purpose and I think he was being used as just a body to fill minutes rather than them thinking this is a plan we're going to play you at left back because it will help you develop into a centre half so even though he had his good loan at Derby with Frank Lampard I'm not sure whether it's as black and white as saying a loan in the championship is good being at a big club is bad I think comes down to individual circumstances and often the successful championship loans are just players that are playing at a level underneath them like Reese James last season he could have been doing a version of what Alexander Arnold did without going out on loan a couple of seasons before at Chelsea but instead he spent a season in the championship and it went brilliant for him and I'm sure that is again that's preferable to other things but I'm not sure if relying on the loan system is conducive to better pathways and better development in itself either. Yeah I suppose you know when it comes down to the what you were saying about the short-term goals of, of football league clubs they're always going to prioritise and rightly so they're always going to prioritise their long-term sustainability uh, in whichever division they're in ahead of the the development of a young player that doesn't even belong to them um, so that that's understandable. But I mean, you mentioned there as well, Cal Walker-Peters, and he's one of the the players who, from that under-20 World Cup winning group that that has played next to no first-team football. And and it does just seem like a waste and it seems like a shame. But, you know, we see that with a lot of players. And and yeah, it it probably does come down to the individual circumstances of of the player in a certain position at a certain club. just, just moving on um, to to sort of the current crop, uh, the, the the 2020s per se. Probably best to start with uh, the under 17s. A lot of names in there that you know you may have the the average football watcher may, may have may have come across before. But there's there's two that really stand out for me, um, and that's obviously Harvey Elliott at, at Liverpool uh, and also Karamoko Dembele at Celtic. Um, they're they're the standout names, but. Are there any other names of note in that under-17 squad um, from what you've seen that are sort of worthy of being held in the same conversation as, as Harvey Elliott or, or Karamoko Dembele? Yeah, I think the 2000s were a rare year with Sancho Hudson-Odoi. And then the 01s and the 02s were very good as well. I think a lot of people think the 2003s are maybe not as good as the 2000s because I'm not sure you can ever expect to have a group as good as that again but they're up there and you've got Jude Bellingham at Birmingham who to be 16 and playing a fairly typical midfield role in the championship isn't normal he's not just being shoved out wide or played as the third man in midfield or brought on and off a sub he's excelling in a fairly workmanlike position and doing a bit of everything and he's he could have joined anyone in Europe the last couple of years, but I think him and the people behind him have decided to trust Birmingham and Birmingham have Birmingham have repaid that trust by sticking to his development plan and that's where he is today. I think at like you say, you've got Harvey Elliott and Karamoka Dembele effectively fighting for one position in the team, which You've got a guy who's already made his debut at Celtic and a guy who's played quite a few times and is basically a first-team squad member at Liverpool. And they are fighting for one position 
potentially in an under-17 squad, which kind of highlights the strength of the group. There's another lad called Jamal Musiala who left Chelsea for German, uh, for Bayern Munich in the summer. He's uh, also eligible for Germany. Uh, but at the minute, at least, it seems like he's sticking with England. And he's still very lightweight, but he's just a midfielder who evades pressure on the ball, super well-balanced, just glides with the ball. So it'll be interesting to see how he fills out where he gets athletically in the next few years and what kind of pathway is available at Bayern for him because it's not exactly something we've seen that regular. It's not something we've really seen before. And uh, Bayern, although they've got a good youth team, obviously they've not exactly progressed that many people into their first team from it in recent years anyway. So it'll be interesting to see what his next step is once he's done with under-19 football, which he's playing in Germany at the minute. But the depth in the group is the impressive thing. It's going to be tough to fit them all in one squad for the summer uh, if they do qualify, which they should. Um, Another I'd like to single out is a a kid called Liam Delap at Man City. It's uh, Rory Delap's son, and he joined them from Derby in the summer. And he's uh, just a proper striker. He's big, he's aggressive, he works hard, good in the air, he's good off both feet, he links up well. And he's one of the more well-rounded centre-forwards that you can actually imagine what his role would be in senior football rather than thinking is he going to get shifted out wide can he play deeper he looks like he's going to be a genuine center forward prospect going forward so he's one that might not even make the squad but long term I think he's definitely one to watch just moving on and moving up an age group uh, to to the under 18s um, as I mentioned with the under 17s there were a few standout names and that's the same with with the under 18s Um, you know the likes of Sam Greenwood at Arsenal uh, Morgan Rogers at Manchester City uh, Jensen Weir at at Wigan um, and as well as Joe Geldhart who both have you know been playing in the FA Youth Cup this season uh, for Wigan which is another good thing that I think players of that age at, at under 18 level should still be participating in competitions like that. But there was one player that, that I've seen you tweet about in the in the past few weeks um, in particular, um, who is who's not UK-based. It's uh, Noni Madueke at PSV Eindhoven. As a player, w- what is he like? So Madueke, he um, joined PSV from Spurs and he's a really, he's, he's a strange player because he's very tall, very long-legged. And he plays on the right wing, left-footed, but he's so coordinated. And he's just, I think he's just awkward for players to get a hold of because you don't expect that kind of control from that kind of build. And as he continues to fill out, he's going to be a fairly awkward matchup for defenders coming off his left wing, really good on the ball, uh, really good at coming in, playing one-twos, getting the ball back, bending it into the top corner. Just a really good one-on-one player. And he's been training with the PSV first team over this winter break. And that move so far is paying off for him because he's either going to be in and around the first team or playing in the second tier for their young PSV side. So, so far, his development's been accelerated by that move. So it's good to see. There seems to be a pathway at PSV as well uh, for young players. I mean, we see Moe Hatteren, who's also 17, uh, the Dutch 
soon to be Dutch international um, there at PSV as well. Uh, Cody Gakpo, who's also primarily a left winger, but he's also still a teenager, I believe, or has only just turned 20. But they've seen plenty of minutes uh, at PSV under under Mark Van Bommel. And, and obviously the likes of Daniel Marlin and Steven Bergvine, who seem older members of that group uh, of that PSV squad, but are actually, you know, still 19, 20, 21, 22 themselves. So I'd say it it, it probably is a good environment for, for Madueke there. And and as you say, you know, he's going to be a, an awkward matchup for, for defenders to defend against, you know, when he, when he fills out completely and um, when, when he makes that, if he makes that, that jump up to the, to the first team, you know, if he continues doing well with the, with the under, uh, 19 side and with the young PSV and if you know as you say he's training with with the first team then the signs are only positive really um aside from him uh, are there any other players of note that you know in in England's under 18 setup that I don't know have, have, have a particular chance of, of getting first regular first team football at, at any of their clubs it's quite early for a lot of them and a lot of them are they're doing well but I wouldn't say many of them are on the brink of their first team You've got Harwood Bellis getting occasional minutes at City, but I don't think there's any rush for him to be getting out on loan or anything because they are only just 16, 17, about to turn 18. There's a player called Yunus Musa who left Arsenal to join Valencia in the summer, and he's probably one of my personal favourites in all the age groups. He's a central midfielder, but he just loves receiving the ball and just trying tricks, being extravagant. Um, he's just got an irrational confidence about the way he plays. He uh, likes to receive the ball, try tricks, try extravagant passes. And just at this age, it should be encouraged. Um, and he's smart with it as well, even though he does it a lot because he can pull it off in the younger age groups. He's smart with it and I reckon he'll translate into senior football really well. And he'll be the type of midfielder that England haven't always managed to transition from youth football to senior football because we've not always got the blend of dynamism with the technical ability as well. And he's got them both. So he's playing in the Valencia under-19s and then a few minutes in their second team. So he's not far off senior football if things keep going his way. Just dropping back to, to when you mentioned Taylor Harwood-Bellis um, at, at Manchester City, uh, you, you've mentioned before that he's a defender to build a side around. And I mean, it's pretty hard to disagree because he's looked every bit of a leader in City's under-23 side at the age of 17, which, needless to say, isn't exactly normal. But what do you what do you feel it is about him that makes him stand out, whether it be sort of uh, stylistically, mentally or, or something else? The thing about Harwood-Bellis is he's just very well-rounded a lot of the time the English defenders they're either projects longer term project players or players that you think oh he's going to eventually maybe have to be pushed out to fullback because he's not quite big enough or they're caught kind of caught in between positions but he's just defensively really sound really aggressive but also really good on the ball and it's kind of difficult to project him forward almost because the best place for him to be is probably in and around the City first team for the next few years because I think as a younger defender, being in a ball-dominant team is probably good for him and it's better for him to be in the City side almost than to go play in the Championship because 
you don't know what kind of level you're going to end up at there, what kind of reliance you're going to have on others of the team. Are you going to get shoved out to right back? So for now, I think the next couple of years, he'll be all right in and around the first team at City. But then it will be a question time if he's not involved into a delict type player who's getting regular minutes at 19-20, which will kind of be the gift and the curse of him being so advanced at 17 because he's in a weird space where he's going to outgrow under 23 football very soon and then City have a choice on their hands on where to put him or how to develop him over the next five, six years. He's a player who's who's already made his England under nineteen debut, um, but at seventeen. Um, and there's also a couple of others in the uh, England under nineteen setup who are worthy of note as well. Um, Tyrese John Jules is one uh, from Arsenal, or he's owned by Arsenal, but he's just went out on loan uh, to Lincoln City uh, this uh, January transfer window, alongside uh, the likes of Connor Coventry, who's uh, an Irish under twenty one international, and a few other young players there. I've seen you say a few things about Lincoln's recruitment. Do you think that's a good environment for, for a number of young players, particularly youth internationals, uh, to be going into you know, a middling League One team um, who you know, don't have the Cowley brothers there anymore? I've, I've got to admit, I found it a little strange just how heavy they've gone on loan players because obviously they're, co- they're going to commit a lot of time to players that they don't own. Tyrese John-Jules isn't one I really worry about going on loan because... Unlike some of the other young strikers who are number nines only or they are not quite physically ready to play and contribute out wide or through the middle yet in in senior football, John Jules is just a very well-rounded player. So even if he's not allowed to play as a number nine, he's still going to be able to contribute. He links play really well. Um, as the, the general principle of... So many of them being at Lincoln, and I guess it's just a change of club philosophy under Appleton. He's been around the under-23 leagues He's for a long time now, and he's always had that type of connection. So although I'm not sure that this January window is going to benefit Lincoln long-term, I suspect it's more just a gradual evolution towards the strategy going forward. So... um. I think it'll be difficult to play that many young players for the next four months and rely on them all together and develop them all at the same time. But I think generally, uh, long term, the plan will probably benefit Lincoln, but it might not be this group of players that they've brought in this January. I mean, another player who is uh, in that England 19s setup with Tyrese John Jules and, and Taylor Harwood Bellis is an Arsenal teammate, of course, uh, Bukio Saka. Um, he obviously has made plenty of appearances for Arsenal this season. Um, still 18 years old and really, really doing very well in a in a whole host of different positions. You know how, how he's been played as as a left midfielder, but also you know dropping into that left back role. And he's been fairly robust. Um, he's, he's stood up well to those challenges. Do you do you see his ceiling being one of the highest within the England youth setup at the moment, or do you think that he's just being overly hyped because he's playing for Arsenal in in sort of a transitional period. Saka, he's played a lot of football at left-back, but then last season he almost made a permanent switch to left-wing and he really excelled in under-23 football. But I've always thought long-term, there's nothing about his game that you wouldn't want in a left-back these days. He's so good on the ball, he's so good facing the play, he's so good coming from deep, making them runs. 
Whereas I think it's it's not natural for everyone to be played on the wing in senior football when it's much harder to get space or it's much harder to get your regular touches that you used to. So I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up as a long-term left-back. And I think with Kolasinac's injury and then Tierney's injury, a couple of months in the Arsenal first team at left-back and who knows where he could be. Because I think the similar thing happened to Maitland-Niles on the other side where he didn't see himself as a right-back even up until a couple of months ago. Between now and the end of the season, if Arteta sticks with him, suddenly he could have a five, six, seven-year career at one of the top clubs in England as a right-back. And I just think it's that versatility and a bit like Saka, although I'd say Saka is more of a standout. It's just that all-round play and just having a player who is very comfortable receiving the ball and going forward and robust enough to play defensively. I think they will both stick around very good sides in England for a long time and they will both be valuable options I'm not sure if Maitland-Niles will play for England but they'll be valuable options for a long time even if they don't quite hit the peak of someone like uh, Alexander-Arnold or others Now, Saka is, of course, a player who's played plenty of first-team football, as we've alluded to there. Uh, but now we're getting to sort of the nitty-gritty players who have been playing quite a lot of championship-level football. And that is, of course, in the under-20 group, um, which are a funny bunch in a way because, you know, you've got the likes of Brandon Williams, um, who's getting plenty of first-team minutes at Manchester United. Uh, but you've also got Joel Latibaudier, who is on loan at FC20 uh, from Manchester City, who was also the under-17 World Cup winning captain um, a couple of years ago. Um, so, I mean, I suppose there's, that, that's the dichotomy between a club who's willing to play their young players or being forced to play their young players and also one which doesn't necessarily need to. Um, but there are, there are a whole host of uh, young, exciting players, particularly so in the, in the EFL, uh, in the under-20 setup. You know, the likes of Marcus Tavernier, uh, Flynn Downs, uh, Jack Clark, who's just gone back out on loan to, to QPR, um, Derby's Jaden Bogle, uh, Luke Bolton and, and Nathan Ferguson, just to name a few. But I was just wanted to ask you, Connor, within the under-20 group, who is your standout and who are you most excited for for sort of the next six months of this season? Yeah, the under-20s is one of the things that the FA have done really well over the last few years, is aside from the under-20 World Cup, They used to barely have any under-20 games. So it's just increasing the game schedule at this uh, age group has just allowed for, say, 25, 30 extra players a season to play six or seven games a year. So they compete in the under-20 Elite League against some of the other big uh, European nations on a two-game every international break schedule. So it can kind of be a good bridge between the younger age groups And then they start to integrate players who are outside of the system, players who've just emerged into senior football. And it's a good way to get a look at at them. Um, I'd say the player to watch, and it's as much because he's a bit of an unknown, even though he's a well-known, is Angel Gomez. He was really highly rated as a 16-year-old, 17-year-old. But unlike some of his peers on Sancho, Hudson, Odoi, even when he was an under-17, you did wonder what position 
Will he be in when he's 21, 22? Will he be physically able to break through into English football? Because Brandon Williams is a good example of a player who I didn't see this happening, but he was really good as an under-18 and an under-19 last year. Really strong running. And at a minimum, he is physically ready to play in the Premier League. Whereas Andrew Gomez played some football last year for United's under-23s and under-19s in a deeper midfield role, which he's not going to be allowed to play in the Premier League anytime soon. He's not going to really get minutes regularly in an attacking midfield role because you see someone as gifted as Juan Mata, who, although he's had a good last week, just sometimes he's just physically not capable of getting the space he needs to work in or contributing to the team if they can't give him the ball. And Angel Gomez is in a similar situation where you see him play for the under-20s, like a game against Portugal in the previous international break, and he just dominated the game. And with his contract coming up at United in the summer, he's in a weird situation where he has to either commit to United where rightfully I think there's no sign of an obvious pathway for him he can keep picking up minutes and it's probably better for him to stay at United if he wants to stay in England because he's better off getting his first starts in a good team than trying to go lower down the leagues or to a lower Premier League team where I think he'd probably just get a bit lost Um, so I think he's one who might even leave to go play on the continent in this uh, transfer window and if not this one, then I'd expect him to go in the summer. And honestly, it's probably the best for his career. He might end up a Premier League player when he's 23, 24, 25. But I don't think he's going to get there unless he can go play somewhere where he can play games, where he can impact games, because it's unlikely to be anytime soon in England. I know what you mean in terms of Gomez's stature and him not being able to to play or not being allowed to play sort of as a, as a deeper midfielder um, at Manchester United because, yeah, he is diminutive, but obviously does have that technical class. However, you would worry that in games which are quite stretched, which I'm sure you'll agree, some of Manchester United have been over the past few past few months, they are games that sort of would pass him by simply because he just doesn't have the legs to, to get up and down. Um, and then by the time he'd have the chance to to make a contribution that's going to change a game, you'd just be too tired anyway. Um, going back to to the EFL lads, um, you know we've got Marcus Tavernier at at Borough uh, alongside DJ Spence, who who are a team that I need to watch a lot more of under Jonathan Woodgate. Now that you know the expectation is a lot lower, considering that Middlesbrough are, are doing what they're doing with a very young squad. Um, but also Jack Clark, I mean, I suppose he's in the news today and the day that we're recording because he's just gone to, to QPR on loan and where he's he's going to struggle to get in that team. Not as much as he'll stru- as he struggled to get back into the lead side, but I mean, with the likes of Ebre Eze and, and Bright Osei Samuel uh, at QPR doing very well, you might agree with me, you might disagree, but do you think that he, that Jack Clark is going to QPR is a good move? It's it's difficult to say because I I wholeheartedly agree with all of your concerns, but I kind of just I'm not sure what alternatives he had. I think the Spurs move was premature. I think he's very raw, and I get I get why Spurs wanted to get in there before because potentially he could have had a big season at Leeds, and then next summer he would have been probably off the market if they'd have gone up or his price would have trebled. So I get why they went in there early for him. 
But I just think that clearly had an impact on his use at Leeds this season, even though they might not have used him as much as they used him anyway. I think if you've got a player and you know he's not a starter and he's a squad player and you know he's going to be leaving anyway, there probably is something to it where he just isn't as big as of, of a priority as he was previously. I think I think he'll play some at QPR, but like you said, they're in the similar situation as if it gets to March, April, and he's not guaranteed himself a place in the team with really strong first few performances, they're going to start to be looking at next season as well. And maybe an 18-month loan there is what he needs, but that's not guaranteed at all. And it's, it's not even been touted. So you can understand from QPR's position, they thought, we'll take a flyer on him now. But the downside for them of loaning him isn't big. But for Clark himself, he is slightly in danger of a bit of a lost season. Yeah, because he's had since since that incident at Middlesbrough last year, where you know he kind of collapsed, he's kind of stalled since that moment, and it's been a it's been a funny twelve months because when he came through, it was all oh here's Leeds United's next big thing, you know the the best thing coming out of Yorkshire since James Milner sort of thing, but in in reality, he's kind of stalled. Partly due to how Marcelo Bielsa wanted to use him in the back end of last season, but also partly because of the, the the loan limit that Leeds have had this year. I think it was a good intention for him to go back on loan to Leeds this year, but as it's played out, you know, as it may play out at QPR, he the, the opportunities haven't been there for him, and other players being on the bench or being involved in match day squads have been have been prioritised. I think yes, QPR there's there's little risk for them taking him on loan because as you say you know they do have the players already there but also they play a style that is going to be conducive to to how Jack Clark wants to play you know beating players flair mavericks you know in that front four yes they're going to forfeit possession a lot and yes they should probably you know fix up their defense quite a bit but the way they play is going to be positive for the way that Jack Clark wants to play football but it's a matter of whether as you say it'll get to March and he's only had a handful of substitute appearances because they're only going to dwindle from then on if they find themselves in a push for the playoffs or if they find themselves, you know, trying to stave off relegation, then either way, are they going to be relying on that lone player or are they going to be relying on the players who've been who've been doing the business for them all season? It, it, it's a big question, but just going even further back to, to what you were saying about the under-20 elite league, having that there and having Jack Clark within that setup, I suppose is good because you know that you're going to get four, five, six games out of him in a season. Um, so I, I definitely agree with your point on, on the Elite League. Staying with the EFL, but just moving up an age group uh, into the under-21s, I mean, there's a there's a whole host of players that we could, that we, could we could talk about here. Where to begin? I mean, they're, they're currently topping their their UEFA European Championships under-21 qualifying group with four wins from four. And I suppose it's it's almost a given that they will qualify with the, with the talent and, and the strength and depth that they do have. But just from a, from a front-to-back uh, perspective, Aaron Ramsdale is is sort of the, the goalkeeper there and he's Bournemouth's number one at the moment. Um, I suppose as, as poor as Bournemouth have been, can... F- is there an instance where fo- first team football is a bad thing or can it only really be a good thing in this in this context? I guess I guess there is times where it can be a bad thing, but I think that is more for 
outfield players who just get their confidence completely destroyed. Because I think goalkeepers almost exist in a completely different sphere where they're just reliant on themselves a lot more. Because I think everyone knows when a team concedes goals, it's not just the fault of the goalkeeper. Um, I think Ramsdale is a solid prospect. I, I gotta admit, I'm not, I'm not completely blown away by him at any point. But I think there are not many examples of English goalkeepers getting a chance to play Premier League football um, at the age he's done. And I think, like his floor is, he will have a very solid career in the top two tiers of English football. I don't think that's a doubt. Interestingly, with English goalkeepers, I think even more so than the outfielders. They struggle with their pathway. Obviously, the goalkeeper is a different position. You don't bring on goalkeepers on the 60-minute mark for a 30-minute run run out to test them in the first team. But I think, interestingly, um, young English goalkeepers are increasingly being sent down to the National League, National South, even regional leagues, just to get their first exposure of football. Because I think even in the under-23 teams, there is three or four goalkeepers vying for 30 games a season. So I think clubs know they have to send their keepers out to accelerate their development. And for goalkeepers, even more so than outfielders, you don't feel like if you send a small centre midfielder down to the eighth tier and the team is just playing balls over their head all game, that's not really good for their development. But for a goalkeeper... I think there's more of a one-to-one translation of skills that they use down at their major groups. And even they are so good, the goalkeepers at the top academies, compared to the semi-pro amateur goalkeepers, that I think, unlike some of the outfield loans, the loaning teams get much bigger benefit from having these keepers who are a completely different level to the ones that they're used to having in them leagues. So I think they are the loans that are actually working well at the minute. Just going back to your to your your other point um, about sort of you know whether first team football is can be a hindrance. Um, ben Godfrey and Max Ahrens are both England under twenty one internationals as well, and they are playing in. It's it's been made a joke of by Hoffenheim's English account this this week, but you know they are the Premier League's basement boys at the moment, and I suppose they were both two players that stood out for Norwich in their promotion campaign because they were so young and they were so assured in their performances. And the fact that it was Max Ahrens' first taste of senior football, but was one of the best fullbacks in in the division um, this year. Do you think that? Do you think that the way that Norwich are struggling in defence is is going to hinder them, or do you think it's just a good learning experience? Um, I think Ahrens will be fine no matter what happens. I think he'll probably get his move to one of the bigger clubs this summer, and he'll have a a good long career. Godfrey, I'm I'm more skeptical about Godfrey and I think similar to Connor Cody at Wolves, it's hard to separate Godfrey from the system and the system they used to go up and I'm not sure if Godfrey was just plucked out of the Norwich team and placed in another team. He would necessarily take the trajectory you'd expect from a 21-year-old playing in a promotion team and then a 21-year-old playing regularly in the Premier League and playing for the under-21s. So I'm a little bit more sceptical about him. I think there are definitely flaws to Farker and Farker's Norwich, um, and I'm not sure how much protection that defence gets. I'm sceptical about reading too much into that Norwich team, both as a negative and a positive. 
So I'd, I'd like to see Godfrey in a different situation, not because I think Norwich is bad for him, but just because I'm not sure. Uh, another one of the England under-21 centre-halves is uh, Jonathan Panzo. And, you know, he's taken a completely different route to to Ben Godfrey um, in the sense that, you know, he left Chelsea to go to AS Monaco in, in Ligue 1 and has been somewhat farmed out to to Circle Bruges uh, in, in the Belgian Pro League. They are, at the moment, uh, I think they're still in the bottom three. They might even be bottom of that division. And I suppose it's a funny one because... You know, being picked up by Monaco as a as a much younger teenager was surely viewed as a positive when it happened. But is it sort of going a bit wrong for him at the moment? A lot of these things are nuanced. And I think Monaco are really good at bringing young players through. But that sometimes comes at the expense of the 15 players that don't come through. They traditionally and regularly sign 15, 20 players each summer and then figure it out after and I mean, for them, I think that's a tactic that long term, it'll work out for them. But I'm not sure about the individual development of players in that system. I think, like I said, I think some will succeed and some will fall by the wayside. Um, I, I don't really worry about Panzo. He's only 19, playing regularly in a league that's gaining competitiveness and gaining in quality over the last couple of years. And is not in a great team. But I think it would be interesting to see what happens with him in the summer, because having started the first one of the first league on games for Monaco this season, I think he'll probably be skeptical himself about where he's seen in the hierarchy at Monaco, and with a new coach there, Jardine's gone, and he's he's Jardine was the one who gave him his debut. I wonder if he really wants to go back to Monaco next summer because. Again, it's a big unknown, and I think if a side was willing to make him a uh, invest in him and sign him, I reckon that would be a really appealing prospect to him. And I'm sure people won't think too much into this year and a half, last year and a half or so at Monaco. I think he will still be valued by a lot of the top clubs, especially the top clubs in England. He's still 19 years old and he's played in France. He's playing in Belgium currently. He's, you know, one of one of the young lads who came through at Chelsea's academy. And I suppose, yeah, he might be looking at the likes of Mark Guehi and, and Conor Gallagher, who who also came through at Chelsea, uh, both now on loan at Swansea City in the Championship. And I just wonder whether the Championship might be a good a good touch point for him, you know, at this point in his that point in his career. Um, which will be in the summer um, if he thinks that you know he's not going to be valued highly enough at, at Monaco. Um, but just touching on on Gallagher, I mean he's someone that I really, really, really like. His work rate, obviously, of course, is incessant, and he was probably the hardest worker in what was in what had to be a hard working Charlton side, which I suppose is saying a lot. But he also has so much to his game, more than his pressing and 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 his harrying and his hassling. But it, my 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 initial thoughts of him being recalled by Chelsea to then be sent out on loan again to Swansea were why change a good thing if it's not going wrong? But I think when you look at it at a more deeper level, yes, he's probably going to be playing. I mean, he is going to be playing at a higher level every day in training um, with players at Swansea compared to, to those at Charlton. He's going to be training under Steve Cooper, who obviously is the under-17 World Cup winning manager with England, um, who's now manager at Swansea. And he's also going to be playing alongside players that he's played with at international level. Given that he's expected to do well there, where do you think someone like Conor Gallagher goes? Where do you think 
Conor Gallagher's head is going to be at the end of the season if he hypothetically he does do well at Swansea. Yeah, when I heard the rumours that there was a chance Gallagher was going to be recalled, there was some rumours that he may go to Burnley and I thought, I really didn't like the idea of that because I think, one, traditionally Dyche has struggled with loan players because I think he's a pragmatist. He knows instantly he can't he can't be bothered to wait for someone to get up to his speed if he knows they're not going to be there long term. Um, so I worried about that. And I think the, char- the Swansea move makes sense if, like Mark Gurhey, the plan is for him to be there next season. And I think for both of them, and even for Brewster, I think spending 18 months at one club would be perfect for them. But I'm not sure if that is the intention or not. Like I said, that's been touted for Gwehi much more. Um, And I think that is the type of level he should be aiming at. I think it'd be premature to expect him to jump up to the Premier League and to hit the ground running and to excel as much as he would if he was given another 60 games effectively in the championship if he was to stay at Swansea for another year um I think he is gonna find it much more difficult to break through at Chelsea but like you said some of the qualities he has and the ease of which unlike Gomez we were talking about earlier he is physically ready to play top level football the rest a bit more of a question but I think at the end of the day it's an athletic endeavor and the thing about Gallagher is that he's definitely physically ready to play in the Championship and probably the Premier League. Uh, the rest of his game's got, probably got a little bit of catching up to do, but that will give him a chance to make it at Chelsea. And if Frank Lampard takes a liking to him in the summer, he could easily play 15, 20 games next year in various competitions. But I think overall it probably would be wise for him to stay at Swansea for the next 18 months. That's potentially 60 games in the championship as an additional to the 25, 26 he's already played. So I think for his level of talent at the minute, and I can't see there being a better place for him without potentially putting him in a bad loan, which long term he'll be playing catch up from the good position he's put himself in already. I saw a lot of, well, I, I won't say a lot, but I saw a few people on, on Twitter saying, you know, oh, it could be similar to a Mason Mount situation. But I feel like people forget that Mount had that year at Vitessa as well before he went to Derby County and, and did well there. And also he's not the same player as Mason Mount. You know, people look at, you know, his high intensity pressing and, and the fact that he's able to pop up on the edge of the area. But a lot of his better work is done thanks to his defensive attributes. I think, as you say, the potential of him staying at Swansea for an 18-month loan as opposed to the six-month deal that he's got at the moment is something that, I I mean, I'd be a fan of um, because it it guarantees him football. And also, I think the fact that he's gone there in the first place means, and Chelsea have, you know, taken him from somewhere where he is playing, put him somewhere else, means that there's there's the expectation that he will play plenty of football at Swansea as well. Um, also at Swansea, of course, as you alluded to just before, is is Ryan Brewster uh, from Liverpool. Um, you know, still nineteen, also around the England under twenty one setup, and he, he was thrown in straight away against Cardiff City in the South Wales derby uh, from the start. Didn't have the best of games, but I mean, I suppose that was you know to be expected. Really, playing in his first sort of well, his first Championship game of his career. I mean, how do you think he's going to get on there? I think expectations for Brewster are a little out of whack with 
his last two years or two and a half years since the under seventeen World Cup. Um, since early two thousand and eighteen, he's basically not played at any level. So I think, although he's very talented, he needs time. And I think because he's been talked up as a squad player for Liverpool, who are the best team in the world, I think things have gotten a little out of control with the expectations for him. Um, as well, Brewster needs a team around him. He's not Sancho. He's not Foden, who is going to constantly be on the ball, even in a bad team. So he could easily fade out of games where Swansea aren't dominant or Swansea aren't helping him get into good positions around the area. I also am a little bit sceptical about the track record of players like him at this age, at these levels of compet- in competitive leagues. He's a goal scorer. He's a number nine, he, but he's not six foot three and he's not lightning quick. He's a good athlete. And he's not small, but he's not going to lead the line at this level like a Calvert-Lewin did, even when Calvert-Lewin was struggling a little bit to put it all together. He's not that type of player. And I think if you look around, there aren't that many type of 19-year-olds playing, at least in the top two leagues. You look at someone like Tammy Abraham, who has is a be- better athlete than Brewster, his struggles when he was on loan at Swansea as well. Although he actually didn't do as badly as people thought because Swansea was struggling and his goals weren't quite there like they have been everywhere else. He started to get picked apart a bit. And I worry that, although I still believe Brewster will come good eventually, see, I do worry about just how high the expectations are for Brewster to hit the ground running and the expectations are coming from a lot of people who I don't think have actually seen him play and don't know what type of player he is. So although I think he's going to have a very successful career long term, I just think people should have a bit of caution with him to immediately be ripping up the championship or anything like that. The the hype that has been surrounding Rian Brewster since that under-17 World Cup win, because he's, as you say, because he's been a Liverpool squad player, or at least considered a Liverpool squad player, has been perhaps a bit overblown. And it also doesn't take into consideration that he's had a serious injury in the meantime as well. And that has taken getting time to get over, time to get used to. And and in that time, you know, Liverpool have gone from strength to strength to become, as you say, the best team in the world. So I think, yes, Swansea is a good landing point for him, but he, yeah, his performances shouldn't be scrutinised as if he's Jadon Sancho playing at Swansea City. You know, he should be treated as Rian Brewster in isolation and the expectation shouldn't be too too cumbersome for him. But yeah, I mean, alongside him at um, at England under 21 level is Mason Greenwood, who uh, I'd just like to touch on briefly before we go. Do you think that they could both play together for England under 21 side? Or do you think it's a case of it's going to be one or the other? Um, I think in the next campaign, potentially, for the 2023 Euros, although by that point, Greenwood will have probably outgrown the under 21s. I think... Greenwood is versatile enough for to play with Brewster. I'd say Brewster's main concern is just he's not guaranteed to be starting for the under-21s immediately anyway, until the next cycle that I've just mentioned. Greenwood is special. There's Sancho, Sancho and Foden were another level, and I think of the players below that, Greenwood is probably the one that approaches that level. And I think even though some of... 
his general play with United this season has been quite safe. I think you see in his finishing and just the way he strikes the ball, he's just not normal. He's not a normal 18-year-old footballer or he's not a normal 25-year-old footballer. He, The way he strikes the ball is special. And I think even if the rest of his game doesn't get to the point where I think it eventually will in senior football, that ability to strike the ball with his left foot, let alone the way he strikes the ball with his right foot, it's just going to give him so many opportunities. At this rate, I'd be kind of surprised if he went to the under-21 Euros next summer, just because England are probably a bit trigger-happy with pushing people up the age groups. And even if he's not involved with the Euros this summer, I think they will get a new influx of young players into the senior squad after the summer. So although I don't I don't think we'll see them that much past this summer for the under-21s, and then as things open up into senior football and the funnel into that team closes, we might not see them play together that much again. That just about finishes this episode of the Scouted Football Podcast. Um, I'd just like to thank Connor for, for joining me on this one. Thank you very much for, for being our expert on all things to do with England's youth international sides. Um, I mean, there's a whole host of stuff that we didn't that we didn't get through, but I mean, I'm sure we'll have you on again uh, at some point in the near future, perhaps towards the end of the season to sort of assess some of the players that we've we've discussed in, in this pod and, and how they've got on. We will have a few more podcasts coming within the next few weeks. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. Stay tuned. Don't forget to subscribe to the Scouted Football Podcast on whichever podcasting app you use, whether that be Spotify, Apple Music, Podbean or anything like that. Also, please do remember to follow uh, and engage with Connor on Twitter. His at is at RoudJRSG. That's R-O-W-D-J-R-S-G. The best account that you're going to get on, on Twitter for you know all things England under 21, under 20, 19, 18, all, all the age groups that we've covered today, but also so much more on the various goings on at, at Premier League clubs, academies, and, and just youth football in general, really. So yeah, definitely check that out if you, uh, if you have a moment. Um, but yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you for, for being here today, Connor. Uh, and you've been listening to the Scouted Football Podcast. Thank you. Bye-bye.